If you're new to Calvary Chapel, we study the books of the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll slip you a Bible. There's some on the front platform you can grab. And we're going to study God's word together, even as the psalmist says that his desire was to hear God speak. And he's going to speak to us this morning through the word of God. Keep in mind, as we've been going through this epistle of 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to young Timothy, who is pastoring the church at Ephesus in Proconsular Asia. Paul the Apostle at this time in his life is nearing the end of his life. He has been ministering the gospel for many years. And at this time, he takes pen in hand and he's writing these instructions to young Timothy. So Father, we do right now just pray. I pray that we be free from distractions, that we remember turn ringers off our phones, that we be settled in our seats. And Lord, we desire to hear from you as we read your word. Lord, this is a very important message to us, a warning given to us, the church. And we're grateful that we can come and be edified and encouraged and instructed in your word in every way. So we give this time to you in the study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Matter of fact, in a few weeks, when we get to 2 Timothy, it's going to be the last letter that Paul writes that we have recorded in the New Testament. And he writes that second letter to Timothy while in a dungeon in Rome right before the emperor, Caesar Nero has him executed. So Paul at this time in 1 Timothy has been seasoned in ministry. He has been on his missionary journeys. He has started and planted many churches. He has written much of the New Testament as he has been inspired by the Spirit of God. He has been through tremendous trials and persecutions. <clears throat> and throughout the years, he has been faithful in serving the Lord. So Paul is at the twilight of his ministry and of his life. And he's able to minister to, to Timothy, who is younger. Timothy, who's in his early 30s right now, he's been with Paul for some 15 years, ever since Paul was on that second missionary journey. And, and Timothy was asked to join Paul uh, there in Lystra. We read about that in Acts chapter 16. So Timothy, he has no illusions about ministry. He has uh, been with Paul, served alongside of him, learned from him. He's even suffered with Paul. And uh, so Timothy, uh, at this time, that he has this task of pastoring the church and many challenges that are before him. So Paul is encouraging him, instructing him uh, and uh, in the ministry that's been entrusted to him. And Timothy, being younger, we know that he was one that uh, would look up to Paul. Paul, probably 30 years older than Timothy. And as we look at this, that uh, Paul, as he was writing to Timothy at the end of chapter 3 last time, he says, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So Timothy, I'm instructing you in how you are to conduct yourself in the house of God. And as we have seen from the beginning of this letter, and we're going to continue to see through the end of this letter, that Paul is telling Timothy, this is how church conduct should be. Timothy, make sure that you teach sound 
sound doctrine. I, I give you this charge that you wage the good warfare. Uh, make sure that you're one that give priority to prayer in the church and that this is what you're to look for in men that are appointed to leadership, the overseer, the bishop, and the deacon, the one who is uh, serving the Lord uh, in that capacity. And that is what we have studied very carefully over the last couple weeks. And now as we move into chapter 4, Paul's going to continue instructing Timothy on conduct in the church, which is the house of God. Listen, the pillar and ground of truth. The church is made up of God's people. It is a place where truth is to be proclaimed and taught as we study the scriptures. Here's something always to remember because what you'll be hearing about, and it is also relates to what we're going to be studying this morning, is I hear more that the Bible contains truth. This is truth. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation chapter 22-21. So if you hear anyone say, well, the Bible contains truth, um, be careful. Because the Bible is truth. And as we study God's word, we are studying truth. As uh, the Bible, all of it is inspired by God. God breathed from Genesis to Revelation. And as we continue, Paul in the first three verses of chapter 4 is going to pause, if you would, to give a prophetic warning concerning the latter days. It is a warning that we really need to take heed of in the days in which we are in. So Paul, given truth at the end of chapter 3, God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. And now chapter 4, this is the contrast. Verse 1, now the spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. So speaking about truth, Timothy, this spirit, the Holy Spirit has revealed. In other words, I'm not making this up. The Lord has expressly, most definitely has revealed that some will depart from the faith and will embrace doctrine that is false and demonic and deceiving. And throughout the scriptures, all of it, and, and throughout the New Testament, there are multiple warnings about this. So as we see it, make sure, uh, don't be given in to that which is false and deceptive and that which comes uh, demonic sources. Uh, it's going to culminate, as we studied a couple Wednesdays ago in Revelation chapter 17, we saw that worldwide false church that the world is going to turn to, the kings of the earth, in the tribulation period, in the first three and a half years, and is going to be supported by the Antichrist initially. Uh, and we know that it's going to be supported as well as Paul makes allusions to the false church in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, but also in Revelation chapter 13, there's going to be one that comes alongside of the Antichrist. He's going to be a religious false leader called the false prophet, Revelation 13 tells us about. So all this is going to culminate to that time. Now in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus talking about the last days, and he says the signs that are going to take place, the birth pangs, <clears throat> the signs of his coming, that at that time many will be offended, will betray one another, will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up deceiving many. And he talks about now in the latter days, there are going to be those departing from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. It's interesting that Jesus, when he gave that parable of the 
sower. And most of us know that parable that there's a sower sowing seeds. He, he throws seed out on different types of soil. And it's in the synoptic gospels where that is recorded. And in Luke's narrative, when he, uh, Jesus begins to explain that parable, he says, now the parable is this, that the seed is the word of God. So the word of God is likened to the seed uh, that's planted on our hearts. I pray that our hearts are like fertile soil to take the seed of the word of God, that it takes root there, that fruit may be produced. But he says that those by the wayside, the, the seed fell, are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. And in verse 13, this is Luke chapter 8, but the ones on the rock are those when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while, and in a time of temptation, they fall away. And so apostatize. Jesus warns of this. Now, there are times in our faith that I think that all of us go through that our faith is tested. We go through trials. We go through loss. We go through great pain. And, and as we talk with those who are going through a season of that, or maybe perhaps uh, you're going through it right now, there is this wrestling, there is this struggling, there is a testing of our faith. And the struggle and the wrestling can go on for a while. And James tells us that count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience and let patience have its perfect work. In other words, it's going to have a work of drawing us closer to the Lord over time and maturing us in our lives. This here is different. This is saying clearly that in the latter times, there are those that will apostatize, fall away, seduced by deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And you see, as Paul was writing to the Corinthian believers in that second letter, he says, don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. We know that ever since the church has come on the scene 2,000 years ago, that Satan has persecuted the church. In the early church, he persecuted, uh, persecution was a, uh, a big part of that and he knew that he couldn't stamp out the church that the church the seed of the blood of the martyrs of the saints would spread and the church continued to spread so he has another tactics and he still does persecute the church today and I believe that that Christians can be persecuted to a greater degree in our nation as we get closer to the return of the Lord because of the direction that we're going spiritually. I pray for a revival, but I also see that persecution can come to us. And I think that persecution worldwide is going to increase as we get closer to the return of the Lord. So that is a tactic of the enemy. There are Christians being persecuted throughout the world very heavily. But also he joins the church. That's another tactic and device of the enemy. And he does that by bringing false doctrine and lies. He did it in the early church. And as we see Timothy's having to address that here at Ephesus, that it was prophesied five years before Paul writing to Timothy that I warn you Ephesian elders day and night I warned you for two years with many tears that there's going to be those who are going to be drawing disciples after themselves they're going to be savage wolves they're going to be speaking you know uh, perverse things and so Timothy now is having to dealing with those who are bringing myths and fables those who do not bring godly edification and and other things that are being addressed that we're seeing very clearly here 
So as I said, he still is doing that with the church. And it will culminate to a worldwide false church right prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. So Paul is driving this point home to Timothy. Timothy, be a godly pastor in the way that you conduct yourself and the things that you teach. This is what Paul will specifically tell Timothy at the end of the chapter. Timothy, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. Matter of fact, Paul begins that section by saying we're going to labor together in this. We got to strive together. We got to keep working together in these things. And so it's an awesome responsibility to be committed to teaching sound doctrine. Me as a pastor, as I get behind this pulpit, I am to be committed to teaching you sound doctrine, to teach you truth. Because if I am feeding you truth, then you're going to grow in the things of the Lord. You're going to grow in truth, and you're going to grow in faith. But if I am feeding you that which is false, then it can have devastating consequences to people and to the flock of God. And I am teaching you what the scripture says to be committed to it. And the scripture says, don't many of you desire to be teachers because you're going to be healed at a stricter judgment. Don't many of you desire to be teachers, James says, because you will be held accountable to what you teach. And it's a very sobering reminder, first of all, to me, to any of us that teach, whether we teach children or youth or we teach a Bible study or we're teaching our own children as we're discipling others and speaking to others, give them truth. Speak the truth in love. So it's an awesome responsibility that we are to do that. Give people the word of God. And then the warning to all of us here. Hey, the time's going to come as we move forward here in the latter days that some are going to depart from the faith. Again, that word depart means apostasy, a falling away. Here's the warning. The Spirit expressly says, this is not my opinion. I hope this doesn't happen or this could happen. This is something that we will see. And we will continue to see. Instruct the brethren, Timothy, we will read in verse 6. The brethren in these things, and you will be a good minister. God's people need to be warned about false teaching and doctrine. So the warning that there can be a falling away, that there are deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons that desire to cause you to believe a lie. I believe that the days in which we are living in are very difficult days. Paul would say some of the last words that we have recorded in the New Testament that in the last days it's going to be perilous times. And we are living in those days where there is more and more deception that is out there. Demons and deceiving spirits are the source of those lies. The strategy of the enemy is to get you to believe lies because he's called the father of lies, isn't he? And here's the thing to remember as Paul was writing 2 Corinthians. That he says that, that Satan can transform himself into an angel of light. I think about Galatians. When Paul was writing to the Galatian churches, he said, I marvel as he begins the epistle that you turn away so soon from the gospel to another, which is not the gospel. And he goes on and he says, even if an angel brings another gospel to you, then what we have brought, let that angel be a curse. So Satan is going to come as an angel of light in his deception. And we have talked about going through the book of Revelations in our studies and about these things, how the church at large is accepting that which is false. There are churches that have abandoned the scriptures. 
There are churches that, you know, have adopted progressive theology and it's more of a social gospel, which isn't the gospel. That God just accepts everyone. And, and it's amazing how it's not only within name, you know, mainline denominations, but more in independent churches and non-denominational churches. That we just accept everyone and God loves everyone and, and that's the basis of salvation. And it's interesting that they like to, no one argues with the works of Jesus. He heals and, and, and he has compassion and he fed the multitudes and we like to look at that. But yet they won't believe the words of Jesus. That I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. More of a pluralistic kind of belief that's being adopted and, and all of this that we see in the church. So Paul continues to tell Timothy about this. And in verse 2, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. One of Satan's standard operating procedures is to get those who teach heresy to speak in Hypocritical lies. The word hypocrite, of course, means to play act. It means a pretender. So those that, that Paul are referring to, you know, teaching doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, you think, how could anyone do that? I, I remember thinking that for a long time. I still do today. How could anyone teach what is contrary to the gospel, to the truth of what God's word clearly is given to us in the Bible here? How could anyone do that? But we know at the end of the epistle that he's going to say some, you know, do it by means of gain. And Paul in another place would write in the New Testament in Philippians, some do it out of envy and strife. But here in this context, as he's writing to Timothy, he says that, that their conscience is seared. Uh, Satan's strategy is to take individuals, render their conscience beyond feelings, uh, their conscience branded, or that word cauterized, with a hot iron. And when an individual is in that condition, they are ready to do Satan's bidding. They're not sensitive to the things of the Spirit. And part of the false teachers that were plaguing the early church and the church at Ephesus at this time is those who had that legalistic teaching and belief. Hey, you're not really saved if you eat certain things or if you marry. Now, Paul and the other apostles, and particularly we see it with John when he writes 1 John, they were dealing with those who were called Gnostics, Gnosticism. And Gnosticism had infiltrated the church Gnostic. It means to know. And these guys were coming along in the church and they were saying, hey, we have special revelation. We have unique revelation. We are in the know. We know this that nobody else does. So we're going to share it with you. We're going to bring it into the church. And one of the things that this Gnostics taught is that Jesus wasn't in the flesh. It looked like he was in the flesh, but he didn't have a body. He didn't have flesh and bone because all matter is evil. They believed it's all evil. The chair you're sitting in is evil. This pulpit is evil. And our bodies are evil, made up of you know, flesh and bone. And because matter is evil, there was two camps in the Gnostics. One was the extreme of, well, since our bodies are evil, you can't help it. You might as well just go out and you know, live any way that you want. 
You know, live immorally. Go ahead and sin. Eat, drink, and be merry. You can't help it. You're in this body, and it's evil. Your spirit is good, but your body's evil. And so there was that teaching, and John refutes that when you read 1 John as he says, I write these things to you that you may not sin. We know that the other side of the spectrum was there are those who said because our bodies are evil, they would keep themselves from certain things. They would isolate themselves. And what they would do, because your body is evil, they believe that all appetites relating to the body are therefore evil and should be rooted out. And your normal desires to have physical relations with your spouse, that's evil. So they would forbid people to, you know, from eating certain foods. Hey, you can't eat that, you know, have that barbecue. You can't eat those burgers. You can't have those ribs. You can't have any of that stuff. You can't enjoy, you know, those things. And they would forbid people to marry You need to keep it simple, bread and water. And those Gnostics and legalists went way beyond what the word of God had declared. You know that Jesus said, as the religious leaders, they came in Jesus' day and said, how come you guys don't follow Jesus, you and the disciples, the traditions of the elder of washing? And what the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they had this ritual they would go through. And it was, you know, a certain amount of water and and done a certain way. It wasn't that Jesus and his disciples were not washing their hands before they ate. But they said, you're not going through the the ceremonial washing. And thus what you eat uh, is unclean and you are unclean. And Jesus refutes that. He says, listen, guys, it isn't what you put into your mouth that defiles you. It what comes out of your mouth. That's what defiles you because what comes out of your mouth shows the abundance of the heart. The Bible says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22. What about Paul? It says, you know, to stay single in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, listen, there's some advantages to being single. If you find yourself in that state, you can give full attention to the Lord in serving him. So the Bible says that it's good to be married, a good state, if that's what God has for you. But it's also good to be single. Will we please remember that? So married people don't look down on single people thinking, what's wrong with you? If God has them single in that state, there's some advantages to it. They can serve the Lord. We're to support them and and bless them and encourage them. And and those who are single don't look down on those who are are married. You know, you poor saps, you know, you're married and all this. It's a good thing. Whatever state God has you in. That you, you know, you're married, you have roles and responsibilities, but we're all to pursue godliness in whatever state that we're in. So Paul here in 1 Timothy 4 is going right to the heart of the air of the dualistic teaching of Gnosticism by stating that manner is not inherently evil, rather it's part of what God created and those who are believers, who know the truth and walk in faith because the just shall live by faith. Not by certain foods that you eat or don't eat. And true believers can receive with thanksgiving and use things that God created. Remember Paul wrote in in Romans chapter 14 that the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We continue here in 1 Timothy 4, in verse 4. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. 
for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So God has declared that we can receive all uh, things with thanksgiving. The key to food is to receive it with thanksgiving. So when you have your barbecue or you know you, you have your you know wings and when you're watching football or whatever, you know, your burgers, uh, receive it with thanksgiving and gratitude. And and by the way, when you go out to eat, don't be afraid to pray in public. You know, if you do it at home, do it when you're out. When you're out, you know, in, in public. You don't have to be loud. You don't have to, you know, do a mini sermon so everybody around you can hear you. Just, it's, it's, it's a blessing <clears throat> to be able to do that. And, and it blesses me when I see a family, when I see a couple that's there and they're just giving thanks to the Lord before they eat. Don't be afraid to do that. And what we eat does not make us more righteous before God. Though what we eat certainly affects our health. Yeah, we want to eat healthy and, and of course we do. But some of us grew up in a church that, where you were told to stay away from certain things, perhaps. And, you know, I grew up in Catholicism. And as a kid, we, I hated, I think most, you know, my siblings as well, we hated that time during Lent. On Fridays, you couldn't eat meat. And I ate more tater tots and fish sticks, you know, and thinking that I had to do it because if I ate meat on Fridays, then, you know, I sinned. You want to eat meat on Fridays? That's fine. But here's the thing. Um, you can read Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 16, and see that this issue of food was settled once and for all. As God spoke to Peter, Paul in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, let no one judge you in food or drink, but there can be those who have a legalistic bent on being righteous before God and what you eat and drink. And then verse 6, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. If you instruct the brethren and warn the church on this, you are instruct them in these things. What things? Well, Paul, I think, is referring to everything that we've looked at so far in this letter. Hey, Timothy, I, I give you a charge here. Here is a command. Make sure no other doctrine, that, that you stick to sound doctrine and, and that you wage the good warfare, fight the good fight of the spirit. Make sure that, um, that the men, that is priority in the corporate meeting, that they are giving themselves to prayer. Make sure that men and women know their roles and responsibilities in the church. That's, that's chapter 2. And here, as you select leadership, the overseer, the, uh, the, the bishop, and as you choose the deacon, those who are serving the Lord, this is certain criteria that you have, certain characteristics that you look for in their lives. And that's chapter 3. And now chapter 4, make sure that you warn people about falling away from the truth. Timothy and anyone else that teaches the word of God in truth, you are a good minister of Jesus Christ. And the way for you, for me, for anyone to be a good minister, whether you're ministering to your kids or ministering to the kids in the children's ministry or discipling people or in a Bible study, give them the words of truth. Give them the words of faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Give them sound doctrine. You are a good minister of Jesus Christ as you do that. 
Now, as you teach truth, it may not make you very popular. Matter of fact, it won't. With not only some, but with many. But we need to be concerned, those of us who are sharing God's truth, we need to be concerned about being faithful to the Lord. When Paul was writing to the Galatian church in chapter 1, he says, listen, why do you turn away from another gospel, which is not the gospel? If an angel brings another one, let that angel be a curse. And then he goes on to say right after that, for do I now persuade man or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And I want us to to notice what Paul writes here at the end of verse 6. Important. Listen, don't tune out. Don't tune out. Teach good doctrine which you have carefully followed. That is an important truth given to me as a pastor teacher. I'm not just to get behind a pulpit and instruct you. I am to live it. Timothy, you be an example. We're going to see next week. You be an example to the believers in word and conduct in behavior, in purity, in faith. You're to be an example, but so are you. Parents, are you that example? Grandparents, to your kids, to your grandkids. Because once in a while, we'll get parents that will come and they will say, well, I'm bringing my kids because I want them to learn morals. And and we're going to minister to those kids and we're going to give them truth, but we want to also give truth to the parents. And we want to press to them, listen, if you're coming here and you're learning truth and you're emphasizing you're going to go to church and we want you to learn these things, but you're living in a different way at home, you don't think your kids aren't going to notice that? It's a mixed message. And over time, they're going to be angry. And we have seen it happen many times. You cannot play the game. Of we're going to go to church and, you know, we're going to do the church thing, but then living like the world the rest of the week because they notice it, how it is that you talk, your conduct, your behavior, what it is that you're watching. You see, not only are we to learn these things, we're to follow after these things and walk in obedience. We know that as we talk about these things, I can't emphasize enough the taking in of the Word of God We are to take in the word of God, be nourished by the words of faith. And that's a great need to us Christians and in the church. Sound doctrine is nourishment to us. And just as our bodies need nourishment physically, so too our spirit needs nourishment. And the Bible uses this illustration in a number of places. For example, 1 Peter 2, verse 2. Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow. We know that John chapter 4, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. We need to understand that the word of God is life-giving nourishment to our soul and to our spirit. It's like food to our bodies. The word of God feeds our spirit. And so we can ask ourselves, you know, hey, if I only ate once one meal a week, if you only ate once a week, you'd be weak physically all of us would be weak or if you just ate ice cream you know I like ice cream if I just had Sundays junk food I would be weak physically and it's true when it comes to feeding our soul with the word of God 
There are Christians that, oh, I want the junk food. I want the entertainment. I want the hype, whatever it may be, rather than taking in the meat of the word of God that we might grow thereof. And if you're coming and you're only receiving the word of God once a week, and you're not in the Bible the rest of the week, once a month, this is it? Listen, I am not trying to be judgmental. I'm just giving you truth. You will be weak spiritually. Read your Bible every day. Just as you eat food every day, read your Bible every day. And when you find yourself, you are spiritually weak, what will happen is you will not have the strength, the spiritual strength, to fight the good fight, to resist temptation, to recognize and put down that which is false and doctrines of demons. And the reason that people are so quick to receive that which is false is because they don't know the Bible. If you don't know the Bible, you will get deceived. There's too many voices out there. And the way to stay strong in the Lord is to be feeding our spirit with a constant diet of God's word. And taking in the word of God, there is safety and security in that. It will keep us from that which is false. John said in 1 John 4, when he was dealing with the Gnostics, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. There is more and more weird and strange, deceptive and false doctrines in the church. I can't keep up with it. I get emails, I get calls, they call me on the radio. Hey, did you hear about this thing? Did you hear about this new vision, this new movement in the church, this group that's saying this, this YouTube and this, this you know, revelation that's been declared, all this? I can't keep up with it. I try to so I can give an answer. Hey, this is what they're about. Those who come up to you in Starbucks and in Walmart and all of this and start talking about, you know, Mother God. I can give answers to that. But there's so much deception that is out there that you can't keep up with it. So the best way to do it and come against it is know the real. To know the real. A banker? How do they train a banker to know how to spot counterfeit? They study a real $20 bill, $50 bill, $100 bill. They know it so well because there's so much counterfeit that's out there. So when the false comes by, they say that's false because they know the real. When it comes to art, you know, art experts and dealers, they know the real art. They're familiar with it. And the way to tell a counterfeit spiritually is know the real, true, you know, doctrine according to the scriptures. That is how we test the spirits. And certain things will come blowing through the church and Christians will get all worked up over it. And this new revival, this new movement, this new vision and and churches get worked up over it. But the people grounded in the word of God will look at and say that does not pass the test of scripture. And if it doesn't, take it and put it aside. In my 27 years of ministry, I've seen things come blowing through the church over and over again, and it will continue to. I remember when I first got into ministry, the big thing was the shepherding doctrine and positive confession. Positive confession was big. You know, uh, power in the words that you speak. Create your own reality. And, and, And I don't have a cold. I'm not sick. Achoo! I don't have a cold. I'm not sick. That gave way, matter of fact, to the prosperity movement that we have seen. I remember when we first came to Greeley, there was the new revival that broke out in many of the churches. 
They're filling up the churches with thousands of people, the laughing revival, where all of a sudden everybody just breaks out in laughing hysterically. And I thought, what is this? And I remember one of the churches, you know, I'm having a midweek. We got a little place downtown. Five people are coming on Wednesday nights. We're going through the book of Leviticus. People would call me up. You got to come to this. Well, we're going to do a Bible study. And they'd laugh. And I'd feel so discouraged. Am I doing something wrong? And I went to the meeting, and it's like, you know, people are tired of Bible study. We just want to laugh. We just want to flow, you know, in the spirit and all this stuff. And then laughing wasn't enough, so they began to bark in the spirit. And that was somehow supposed to be spiritual, being drunk in the spirit. And I remember one of the leaders saying, yeah, you know, the youth kid was drunk and stumbling around. I thought, this isn't, this isn't of God. How's this pass the test of Scripture? Because Scripture says that the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And you're howling like wolves and, and drunk in the Spirit? And it came and it went. And behind the message of a lot of it was, people are tired of Bible study, put your Bible aside. Whenever you hear somebody say that, get up and walk out and don't ever come back. It's going to get worse, folks. Today, there's grave soaking. You know, the new thing is you find the grave of anointed, you know, Bible leader or somebody in church history and you lay on their grave and you soak in the anointing. It's creepy. Healing dancing that you're seeing, that they'll dance around you and bring healing to you. To me, that just that has a lot of occultic Eastern mysticism kind of connotations. Be careful. The Bible says that in the end times, there's going to be lying signs and wonders that's going to deceive. Jesus spoke about it, warned about it. Paul's warning about it. The exciting thing about going through the scriptures here, and I'm not saying that we at Calvary Chapel, we're the ones that have the corner on ministry. But as we go through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, you guys are growing in the Lord. You guys are growing in the word. You're maturing. There's no other shortcut than to mature in the word of God. That's going to bring maturity to you and strength. It's going to feed your soul. It's going to keep you safe. Because there's too many voices, as I said, and there's a lot of deception. And you are to reject profane and old wise fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. So Paul, after this, he's going to talk about godliness. Timothy, we need to labor together in this. Reject the old wise fables, you know? Uh, what does it mean? It's a term used when a story's circulating or around and, you know, people are all into it. And we need to be careful. Keep focused on the Word of God, not on the things that come from men. And, and it's amazing how people will hear stories that you know, we've all heard the term fake news. We, we know everything on social media is true, right? We get Christians that get into Bible codes and hidden messages and new revelations and weird visions and all of this. And I think that another reason why more accepting or recognizing that which is false and deceptive is because there's an increase in a quest for more exciting spiritual experiences or new revelations, new truths. Stick to the Word of God. Test it with 
this, you know, the spirits to see if they are God. And we need to be ones that as we stick with the word of God, then you will be able to discern that which is deceptive and that which is truth. So Paul, he's reminding us of this, the priority of it. And then he begins to kind of shift gears here, the priority of, of keeping the eternal things perspective, not the temporal things, for sake. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Listen, he's telling us, listen, exercise of the body profits little. He's not saying don't exercise. We should exercise. You know, keep ourselves healthy. I, I like at the Bible College at, at Marietta Calvary Chapel, they had a little gym there for the students. Profit little, you know, uh, gym is what they called it. And what Paul is saying is, listen, the eternal is what's important. You are to exercise godliness. We can spend a lot of time, you know, exercising in the gyms, running and all that. I, I want to be healthy. I want to keep ministering as long as I can. But I also know this that my body one day is going to wear out, and that's temporal. But godliness, pursuing that, and then we're going to see, this is how you do that. This is how you labor in it. This is how you continue in it, Timothy. Next week is going to be so critical to understand what Paul is saying. Godliness that is eternal, that's going to benefit the kingdom of God. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these, these warnings given to us and the word given to us this morning. And what I pray is that we would take heed, that we would be ones that, as Timothy is going to be told, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, and, and to be kept from that which is deceptive and false, because we know the enemy comes as an angel of light. It can appeal to the flesh so easily, and, and we think it looks so good, but it is deceptive, and it takes us away from truth. And I do want to give to anyone here the gospel. Here's the truth. If you've never come to Jesus Christ, put your faith and trust in him. You have no salvation. It is not about being religious. It's not about being a good person. It is not about joining a church or you think you'll be okay when you stand before God because all of us have sinned. That's what the Bible says. And we've fallen short of the glory of God. And that's why Jesus came, the Son of God, to die for you. And he took all of your sins upon himself. The greatest need of any man or any woman is to be forgiven of sin and come to Jesus for salvation because he is the way, not a way, the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he proved that he's the Son of God when he died for the sins of humanity, died for your sins, and then he rose from the grave. He conquered sin and death. No one else did that. All other religious leaders are still in the grave. Confucius, Muhammad, Buddha, any spiritual guru. Only Jesus rose from the grave. He loves you, and he's calling you to, to come to him, to be forgiven for salvation, to have right relationship with the Father. Today is the day of salvation. You can do that right now. And you can pray, Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I humbly confess that I am a sinner in need of forgiveness. Forgive me. And I, you died on the cross for me. And that you are the Savior of the world. You are Lord of all. And I ask that you would be my Savior and my Lord. And this is now my gospel. I believe in you. Forgive me. And I thank you for hearing my prayer. 
And I thank you for bringing me here and for the truth proclaimed. I want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And listen, if anybody here, you prayed that prayer, we got a prayer team up front. Tell them the decision you made is we're going to close in just a minute. But for all of us, as we leave here, may we be encouraged and determined. We're going to feed our souls with the word of God. We're going to continue on in truth. And we're going to declare that to others. And we're going to be wise in the days in which we're living in. So, Lord, just help everybody to stay grounded in your word. And, Lord, may our eyes be open spiritually, our hearts soft always to hear your word, and to walk closely with you. In Jesus' name, amen.